We haven't had movie night in months, dude. Yeah. We haven't even caught up on Westworld. Haven't caught up on Westworld. Loosely text about devs. Yeah, loosely. Haven't organized any movie watches or anything. You're my only friend, Brian. Sad days. This is sad. You're my only friend, and this is how little contact I have with my only friend. <laughs> and the one time I asked you to play Overwatch with me, you were working on the podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah. Welcome to episode 343 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Brian, how you doing, man? Hanging in there, you know? Didn't go outside yesterday. Didn't go outside the week before. I, well, I guess I went for a run a couple times, but fuck, I'm I'm an inside boy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, one thing I've started doing, which I this is not a medical recommendation, but I've started taking vitamin D supplements. And I've found that to be helpful. Like if I don't have it, I am really groggy and have like a cloudy mind because hmm. I'm just not getting sunshine, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a good idea. I should probably do that because I've done even less outside boy stuff than you have. Yeah. I think that the closest I've been to the outdoors is taking the trash cans out to the sidewalk and bringing them back inside. <laughs> like all, all of 30 feet. seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Anyways, hanging in there, but we got a, we have a very packed episode, so let's get into it. Yeah, so much to talk about. First of all, we have some new supporters this week. I want to give a shout out to Ritu Magera, Jacob Lindstrom, Dave Epstein, Dan. Just Dan. Just Dan. What's up, Dan? What up, Dan? Could be any, any Dans out there listening, but mm-hmm. this one in particular is special. Mm-hmm. Uh, Omar Hassan, Marco, and Lars Antilla. Just Marco. Just Marco. Do you know Dan, Marco? Marco, Dan. Do you have a last name? Put it on Patreon. <laughs> Maybe it's Dan Marco. Oh, shit. Two people, $2. What's up? <laughs> so if you didn't know, we are a listener-supported podcast, and we're on Patreon at patreon.com slash design details. And for just a dollar a month, you get access to some bonus goodies. But we're going to try something new today. Yeah. So this week I tweeted out, uh, there was just a conversation happening on Twitter about subscription podcasts and Patreons and this kind of like monetization strategy, like rather than having sponsorships, which is what Marshall and I want to do. We've been pushing the Patreon hard for six months and it's been awesome. Like I think we're getting really close to 200 patrons, which is phenomenal. Yeah. It's really incredible. So thank you everyone for supporting. Thank you. But one of the things that we've sort of promised along the way that we've under delivered on is doing bonus land episodes. So we've done three, and I think we're maybe behind by a a month or two, which feels bad. And I think the more I thought about this, Marshall, is like, we already spend a day on the weekend recording. You have to do a lot of editing. Mm -hmm. So doing an extra episode, it's like, do we record two episodes back to back? That's really draining. The second one will be just dead energy. Do we record sometime in the middle of the week, but we're both, we've been busy with work and like working overtime. So we just like kept pushing back bonus land episodes. Yeah, the way an episode fits into our schedules is very specific. So either we double up and do everything twice in one week, or we have to find another day to fit everything in. Yeah, it's it's tough. So uh, anyways, I was tweeting about this and kind of thinking about it. And Michael Kneprath, fam of the pod, mentioned another podcast he listens to does a bonus segment at the end of every episode for their subscribers. And it reminded me, like, I I listened to a a few podcasts that do this. They'll sort of do half episodes, which is interesting, right? Like, if you support the show, you get 
a full episode. So I, I thought that was interesting because maybe we could fit that in a little bit better into the schedule. And also it'd be like a more consistent feeling of like reward. Like people who are supporting the show probably want extra content. And if we're under delivering on extra episodes, maybe we can spread that out onto mm-hmm. every episode a little bit. It's probably even more content ultimately, yeah. right? Like, but it'll be easier for us to slot into our existing process, right? Yeah. So we're going to start that today. We're going to try this. Yeah. We're going to drop bonus episodes monthly and switch to a new subscriber-only segment. Uh, we're going to call it the sidebar. sidebar Name is sidebar, subject sidebar. to change. <laughs> yeah, you can't really <laughs> echo that one. Yeah, no, it doesn't work. Uh Name subject to change, but for now, the sidebar. And in the sidebar, it's going to be every episode, we're going to include a supporter-only segment. It'll be either a story, a pro tip, a shortcut, or just some design-related tidbit that we've been thinking about or learned during the week. So it'll be, I don't know, maybe like cool things, but specific to design in every episode. So I don't know, five minutes per episode, maybe something like that. Mm -hmm. Could be longer, could be shorter. But yeah, it'll be a nice reminder every week. Like, oh, you know, here's the full episode because I'm supporting for a dollar a month instead of, ooh, when's the extra episode going to come out? Oh, they missed a month. I'm really disappointed. (laughs) Hopefully we can avoid that. Okay, so anyways, the first sidebar segment is going to be today, right after this. If you are supporting us on Patreon, you're going to hear it. If you're not, you can go to patreon.com slash design details and for just a dollar a month, you'll get access to our, our previous three bonus land episodes and going forward while we experiment with this to see if it works, uh, access to the new sidebar segment in every episode. And uh, just a little teaser, uh, Marshall just hit eight years of working at Google and I want to yeah. know about how you work that long at a single place. Specifically, like having a long-term mindset and a building relationships over that period of time. So here we go with our first sidebar. All righty. Well, hopefully that was a decent sidebar. Yeah, yeah. For the first one. Do you know when you buy a, when you buy a movie and you get like the iTunes extras or like the DVD bonus yeah, features yeah, and shit? I yeah. want this to feel like that, right? Now that you mentioned that, I'm thinking we should start doing director's cuts of every episode. <laughs> oh, so gosh. we record the episode, but then we re-record listening to ourselves record the episode uh-huh. and we kind of critique ourselves. So yeah, director commentary on top of the episode? I think we could do that. It's yeah, yeah. it's probably triple the work, but <laughs> seems really high return. I think people are going to be really interested in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The ROI on this is really good. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on. So we have a little bit of follow-up from last week. Last week, we talked about sharing early work, and we put out a call to action. We asked you all to share your shameful work because uh, I certainly did, and, and we got to dig into Marshall's old dribbles, and lo and behold, Nobody replied. Well, one person. <laughs> one but, person. Uh, I'm so disappointed in you, audience. Yeah, we're disappointed in you. What happened, everybody? I'm not mad, Brian. I'm just disappointed. Uh, the one person who shared something was Alvin Hu, who says he dug up a social emoji diary app concept that he made with T. Lindsay in the 10th grade, which uh, we got some nice isometric iPhone mock-ups on the iPhone 4. Four, yeah, it looks four like a four, in. maybe five. Yeah. But the, the the thing is, this isn't even bad, Brian. This isn't even like embarrassing. Well, that's the replies. Uh, Michael Knepra said, you're not supposed to share good things. And I said, <laughs> seriously, share your shameful work. But it's kind of a cool idea. It's like a little timeline 
of you and your friends and the emoji represents your mood over time. Yeah. So thank you for sharing, Elvin. And thank you to nobody else for sharing <laughs> your shameful work. You cowards. Uh, you absolute cowards. It's not too late. We can do another follow-up. If if you share your earliest work with us on Twitter, we'll we'll shout it out next week. I challenge you. Yes. Okay, Marshall, main topic. This is a hat trick listener question. Pavel Sisiak asks his third answered question on the show. Uh, Pavel asks, what are the most valuable and overlooked skills for the entry-level designer and senior designer? The flip side is what skills are overvalued for junior and senior designers? Oh boy. What are overvalued and undervalued skills? Hot takes, Brian. Get some hot takes on here. Uh, We might start some fires. Let's see what happens. Okay, so Marshall and I, we, we brainstormed our own list of things. Then we also put this out on Twitter. We tweeted out the same questions and we got some responses. So we'll read those in a minute. Okay, yeah, let's, uh, let's start. I'll, I'll start with the first one. So the first thing that popped into my mind, and this might be a little hot. I don't know if I might get in trouble for this. But I think that if you're an entry-level designer, paper prototypes for user testing are overvalued. Uh huh. Do you agree with me? Yeah, I kind of, in my mind, I I put this into this bucket of like things designers think designers do that aren't actually that helpful, but they make for nice photos. Uh-huh. When you said paper prototypes, I like, I close my eyes and I, I think of like a whiteboard with a bunch of sticky notes on it, and people are like, "This is design," and I'm like, I've done that but i don't know that that's like the most valuable way to spend our time it's Mm -hmm. like same with paper prototyping it's like i think designers are supposed to do that like people talk about doing that but is it actually that useful i don't know yeah i think we've talked about this a while ago about the fetishization of prototyping and all this stuff and it, it has been my experience that the more realistic your prototype is the more valuable your feedback you get in those user tests is because you don't spend time trying to wave your hands and say, oh, this is, you know, don't pay attention to that part. Don't pay attention to this other thing. Just look at this one thing. It's easier for these research participants to suspend their disbelief if the thing, if it doesn't require them to use their imagination to to think about what this thing is actually going to feel like when it's real. Yeah. Well, would you extend this to wireframing? Uh, Wireframing for a uh, for user testing specifically, or just in general? I, I guess you could split that out for for maybe in general. Do you think wireframing is useful? I'm I'm I'm, th- I'm saying like gray boxes, like monochrome gray boxes representing the layout of a screen. I think it's useful if you can't do it in your head, like getting it all on paper and looking at it. I I do all that stuff in my head, so I there's a lot of work I just don't do because I can run mm-hmm. through all the shit in my head and go. What if, what if it looked like this? And then I can imagine it looking like that and, and using it looking like that. And then I can either go, that's good or that's bad. And if it's bad, I just go, okay, that didn't work. What's the next thing? Uh-huh. This is what I do in lieu of paper prototypes. I do brain prototypes and then I go to the final thing. So maybe I'm not the best person to ask for this, but <laughs> if you can't do brain prototypes and or you haven't developed that skill yet, then I think wireframes are good just to like get the junk out so you can mm-hmm. quickly judiciously say, that's shit, that's good. Yeah. All right, let's keep going. Second overvalued skill. This one we are going to disagree on. Uh I think pixel perfection and pristinely organized design files are overvalued for basically every level of designer, but especially entry-level design. Explain yourself. I do this, by the way. 
I spend a lot of time making pixel perfect things and mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time organizing my files. Mm-hmm. And it always feels like a waste of time when I see the implementation is not close enough and I have to move over and move to implementation land, which is like sitting with an engineer and pointing at things and nudging things or jumping into the code base and like changing values directly because that is what's going to ship, not my mock-up. And same with the organization of my design files. Like the more time I spend organizing it, the more attached I get to specific structures of implementation or specific hierarchies. Like if I name my pages specific ways, that becomes canon for how the app should be organized and the Mm. features that should exist. It like Mm -hmm. creates a sort of tunnel vision. And if you didn't have, if you just had shit everywhere, it would be the opposite problem. Like you wouldn't have any direction. So I, I like having some fluidity in between. It's like, I'm not tied to the structure of my document as the structure of what needs to ship. I like having something be a little bit more freeform. And also after something ships, like you never fucking open that file again anyways. So who cares? I understand that it's valuable, but we're talking about what I think is overvalued. I think designers spend too much time making something pixel perfect and super organized and pristine and naming all their layers perfectly when it's not going to matter when it gets implemented. I would agree with you if you're talking about an entry-level person, but not a senior-level person. Like it's it's the blueprint, right? Like if you're if you're defining the blueprint, the blueprint should be accurate. And I guess maybe it depends on how hands-on your implementation handoff process is. If you're not going to be there all the time, just stand over shoulders and say, "Actually, I know I know my mock is wrong here, but use this number." Yeah, yeah, yeah. If that communication isn't good, like, or if you don't have that uh, ability to have that closeness to it, then your blueprint better speak for you. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna. It depends our way through all of these because <laughs> that's true. Our next one for overvalued is having big names on your resume. Coming from the Google guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, this is not, I mean, just because you worked at a big place doesn't mean you're good necessarily. Mm-hmm. And just because you didn't work at a big place doesn't mean you're not good. It helps, right? It's a, it's a stamp of approval or at least it's shorthand for like, okay, if they were willing to take a chance on this person, then maybe I should too. But as they say in Ratatouille, anyone can cook, Brian. Mm. And that doesn't mean that everyone has a capability of being a great cook but that a great cook can come from anywhere. Mm, Mm -hmm. That's nice. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I think we need to recognize the reality of the job hiring process, which is that having a big name on your resume helps get you in the door, but that doesn't make you a good designer, right? And I think you could extend the same thing to like the college you went to, right? Like people place so much importance on the Stanford and Stanford's and Harvard's and Yale's and it's like, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of hidden context that you don't know. Like they could have gone there and been the last person in their class. Uh-huh. Yeah, I agree. They're useful, but certainly overvalued. All right. Uh, my last overvalued skill here, this will probably annoy a lot of people, but I think that originality is overvalued. Wow. I know why it's important and we need people to continue innovating to push the species forward and to push (laughs) our products forward. We need original thinking. But I think that an overemphasis on having every single thing you do being original is a huge hindrance. I think it is distracting from solving underlying problems that are perhaps very straightforward to solve. But uh, we probably, I'm speaking for myself as well, like, wrap up my ego 
in wanting the thing to have my stamp on it or have my brand on it, have my style on it. Like I want things to feel fresh. I'm almost like designing for my peers instead of designing for the user. Mm-hmm. And getting caught up in that, I feel like is common and certainly shouldn't happen as often as it does. So therefore, I think it's overvalued. We, we spend too much time trying to make this thing attractive to other designers instead of just, yeah. ah, it's a setting screen, fuck it. If I was going to compare this to the gaming community, this this is the 360 no scope of design. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I think I can get what you mean. Yeah, it's all flair, but unnecessary. Yeah, like you could just scope. Yeah, jump off the building, 720 no scope. Okay, that's cool. You didn't need to do all that too extra. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, we could always. It depends our way out of this. I think originality is important in certain contexts, and and we need it as an industry. Okay, uh, that's some overvalued. How about we jump into undervalued? Okay, my first one for this would be knowing how to phrase research questions so that when you conduct a user study, you're getting answers that you need, not leading those answers with questions that assume an answer, if that makes sense. Like the cardinal sin is saying something like, would you use this or do you like this? Uh Uh-huh. Like these are worthless questions that are actually going to damage your ability to build something useful because people want to say things that are nice. So if you ask somebody, do you like this? They're probably going to say yes, even if they don't actually like it. I think another one is like, would you pay for this? And people say, yeah, yeah, I'd pay for that. And then you go and build it and you ship it and you charge five bucks a month for it and nobody pays for it. (laughs) Yep. Or even like, do you understand this? Yeah. Right. Do you understand this is useless? The, the the more powerful question there is, explain to me what this feature is or explain to me how to do the thing, right? And if they succeed, then they understand it. And if they don't, then they don't. But yeah. everybody's going to say yes and because no one wants to feel dumb, right? There's a good book on this called The Mom Test. I mean, there's tons of user research books, but one that stands out for me is The Mom Test. Yeah, we've talked about this before. Yeah, it's been, I think it was one of my cool things one time. It's like a 30-minute read, so just order it. It's a, it's a very thin book, but it's about this. Like, how do you phrase questions in a way that you don't get shallow answers or you aren't phrasing them in such a way that the person feels like they have to be nice or they have to look smart, right? Like, people don't mm-hmm. want to look dumb, so they're going to say that they understand things they don't actually understand. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, that's a good one. My undervalued skill was I thought about using managers as a resource in your design process. I feel like when I was younger, I had a very one-way relationship with my manager. It's like they tell me what to do. They guide me. They like assign things. Um, they're like flowing things into me. And I became a better designer when I could make that a two-way relationship and think of myself as like a peer with my manager where we are collaborating, not dictating. Mm -hmm. And also if I'm ever in a position of being incredibly stressed or overworked or I'm just in like a tough week of deliverables, asking my manager to do something IC related is totally valid. I, I think there's this fear of, oh no, if I have to ask for help, I'm weak, I'm failing, I'm not yeah. at the right level, I've I've been found out. Mm-hmm. When I, f- I think it's probably the opposite. Like, first of all, asking for help is totally natural. I think it shows a lot of maturity and like self-awareness. Vulnerability is strength, yes. Vulnerability, yeah. But then there's also the other side, which is probably managers are like aching to do some work 
every once in a while, right? Mm-hmm. Like they want to get back in the weeds and you say like, like I'm stuck. I need, I need this screen design. Can you please just like go wireframe it and then I'll do the visuals, whatever, but I just need help thinking through this one little thing. Like have your manager do it if you're overworked, whatever. I don't know. I've had a few situations like that and it's always come out positive for both me and the manager. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Managers are resources and, yeah. and you should see them as such. Okay. Another undervalued skill is UI copywriting, Marshall. Lorem ipsum. Yeah. Doesn't cut it. Yeah. Doesn't cut it. I, I think this is one of those hard things where like when you're starting, you see the the shape of a screen and not like the way a user will read it. So you're like, okay, there's going to be some like form fields. We'll have like some disclaimer text and then there'll be a button to submit. And you kind of just like mock that out without actually thinking about what are the labels on the forms? How are like, is, do we need subtext here? What's the placeholder? Like those bits of UI copywriting actually inform the user what they're supposed to be doing mm-hmm. more so than perhaps like just the fact that an input exists. Yeah, I know I need a tool tip on this thing. I don't know, tool tip lorem ipsum. No, think <laughs> yeah. about what that is. Also, it will help your UX writers when they actually go to finalize that string. It'll help them to know what you're trying to get at rather than you having mm-hmm. to loosely describe it later and then replace your lorem ipsum. Yeah. Uh, and I think this leads into a larger like writing in general point of being able to communicate effectively through the written word in a bunch of different contexts is super undervalued. Like knowing when a text is good enough or knowing when an email needs to be sent or knowing when a face-to-face conversation needs to happen, like effective communication and wherever you can't do face-to-face, clear tone in your writing are undervalued, I believe. Yeah, those are so hard to get right and that takes a lot of practice, right? And actually, that's another thing about having long-term working relationships with people is like the longer term the relationship, the more relaxed and fluid that can become. Mm-hmm. But certainly at the beginning, when you don't know how somebody's going to interpret your messages, you need to spend way more time thinking, okay, there's a stranger who I'm working with that's going to read this thing. How do I phrase it so I'm not coming across like too demanding or like I don't know what I'm doing? Like, yeah, you need to like think about that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. then there's probably even just the more technical part about like how do you structure a requirements document or exactly even outline a, a user interview things like that mm-hmm. well that's a nice segue into maybe the last bullet point we have here which is how to exhaust a search for answers before asking a, a question and then having the questions that you ask be good actionable and specific questions mm-hmm. i find that a lot of times when i have a question I'll, I'll figure out who i need to ask and i'll start typing out the question and in the process of typing it out, you like simulate what you think they're going to say back to you. Uh-huh. And you usually either unblock yourself or you just answer the question. So a, a very clear example is like when I'm going to send a screenshot to you, Marshall, because I want your visual feedback, mm-hmm. I'll take a screenshot and I'll start typing a text. And then halfway through, I'm like, okay, but wait, Marshall's going to notice this thing. And he's uh-huh. also going to notice this thing. Oh, wait, <laughs> actually that is bad. He's going to point this out. And it's like, you make forward progress through the process of searching for answers before you even have to ask the question. I think maybe on the junior side, you ask the question too early. I I am only able to see it through your eyes when either I'm actually looking at it along with you or when I imagine how you will see all the things on the screen. And yeah, yeah, it's usually a kick in the ass to be like, oh yeah, that part's still fucked up. I should fix that. And yeah. (laughs) One of the funniest moments I had of that where I learned how you 
sort of critique visuals was I showed you a screenshot of something. We were together and you pulled out like a piece of paper and laid it out over the screen to see if the alignment was correct. Oh yeah, like a straight edge. Uh, a straight edge, yeah. Yeah. I was like, "Oh, okay. Like he's gravitating towards key lines. I need to be thinking about key lines and like mm. be paying attention to that before I ask for Marshall's feedback. Otherwise, <laughs> he's just going to waste time pointing out the obvious." Got it. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I there's probably a bunch of other overvalued and undervalued skills that we couldn't think of, so we asked Twitter and we got a few replies. Uh, T says, most valuable for entry level is taste, attention to details, ready to listen, motivation. For seniors, ready to learn, adapt, and question past experiences and delegate. Ooh, yeah. I like that question past experiences one. Hell yeah. It's so tempting to be like, oh, well, this worked at my other company. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, this worked last time. It'll for sure work Mm -hmm. this time. What could go Mm -hmm. wrong? Or other people do this. That's probably the right way to do it, right? Yeah, yeah. Like you're building an app and you go and look at the way all the other apps do it. You say, oh, that must be the right way. When probably all those other apps are like, why is nobody using this feature? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're just blindly copying it, yeah. Mm -hmm. Next feedback comes from Nathan Lindell. He says, learning to communicate with stakeholders, peers, etc. is an extremely valuable skill, but would be unfair to expect this from an entry-level person. But knowing the fundamentals, can this person do the work, and a commitment to improvement are underrated. Yeah, I think hiring somebody who has the fundamentals, they don't have to know everything. They just have to be teachable. I can teach you how to be pixel perfect. I can teach you all these different things, but you got to have the foundation and have the capability of learning. You know, commitment to improvement. Yeah, that commitment to improvement. I want to f- maybe be more mindful this over time because I work with certain people where you can tell they have that. And then some people you can tell they don't. And I don't know if it's totally abstract, but there's some people that are just hungry for feedback and critique and they're hungry for any ideas on how to improve it or change it. They're constantly sharing work in progress. There's like this real energy towards seeking something that is good. And then there's other people who like don't quite have that. And I think it's that's a valuable skill. All right, next tweet comes from Ollie, a little bit of a tweet storm. Uh, Ollie says, I think the foundational design skills like typographic hierarchy are underrated, whilst beautiful portfolios are overrated. Ooh, whilst. Humstiv. <laughs> uh, I think it would be unfair to, set, to expect such strong communication skills from all entry-level designers, but I think it's perhaps the most valuable skill Communication as a skill can be buzzwordy, so I'll specify. I think an entry-level designer that can join a team and comfortably question the status quo and speak out when they are unsure is a highly valuable trait. Mm-hmm. Fresh eyes. And the diplomacy to ask that question without you know stepping on toes. Socratic method, baby. Yeah. Why do we do this this way? Yeah, yeah. Ollie ends by saying, in my limited experience, it takes the weight off of their supporting mid-slash-senior designers. It's also an important component to entry-level designers learning on the job. Yeah. Yeah. We also heard from Emma Gilbert. Uh, Emma thinks the most valuable thing is resourcefulness. There are unknowns at some point of every project. If a person can find momentum on their own by seeking out and not waiting for answers, that's somebody I want to work with. Fully agree. Yes. That's a good one. Finally, we heard from Jordan Koshi, who says, the ability to communicate clearly verbally through writing and through visuals and the ability to understand and translate between design, engineering, and business concerns. The best designers have some product management DNA, too. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I agree with that. Yeah. It, you shouldn't be doing the job of the PM. Like the, the PM knows how to do their job better than you do. But if you can think like them, that's a bonus for sure. Yeah. Like you should have some sense of priorities and deadlines. And like even within a given feature, like what parts of this feature are going to deliver the most value? Like if if we had to cut something, what would we cut? That could always be in the back of your mind, right? And that's like what yep. a product manager might be thinking. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you everyone for writing in. That was kind of a long segment, but uh, really great feedback. And uh, hopefully that answered your question adequately, Pavel. Yeah. And if we miss anything, let us know on Twitter, at Design Details FM. All right, Marshall, let's get into cool things. I see what you have written down here, and I, I can't wait to hear what this is. Uh, this is not new. I, I'm actually going to be really interested. I hope there's one person listening who has not seen this movie and they've just been like, oh yeah, that, that 1999 film that I've heard so much about, but I never took the time to watch it. Mm-hmm. The Matrix. Uh-huh. I rewatched it last night, Marshall. Okay. And it holds the fuck up. It's a very good movie. It holds up. It is phenomenal. I had so much fun watching it. I was, uh, just thoroughly enjoyed myself. I think it is an excellent film. The story is incredible. It, it's maybe even more provocative to me than like the Westworld sort of sci-fi. Like I think the Matrix as a concept is just incredibly provocative and interesting. This like, I, I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah, what is the Matrix, Brian? That's the whole question. What is the Matrix? It's the question that drives us. The way they pull you into that, that story, like the opening scene uh, with, with Trinity and the cops, like the way they they convey good versus bad, like it's so. Your men are already dead. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's my cool thing because I watched it last night. I was re-listening to uh, Patrick Willems and Jake Torpy and Matt Torpy host a podcast called "Can't Get Enough of Keanu," and they've been going <laughs> through the backlog of all of Keanu's films. Mm-hmm. And this this last week, they released their Matrix episode, which is kind of what they've been building up to. Mm-hmm. And they just went on and on about like all these details that you might not notice. And like they talked about the way it was filmed, how they did bullet time, how they like really changed the genre of action movies, all this kind of stuff. And it just got me so excited. So I had to rewatch it. So if if you haven't seen The Matrix, you should watch The Matrix and tell us what you thought on Twitter. It's entirely possible that we have listeners who that movie came out before they were born. Yeah. That's crazy to me. That's crazy. I remember watching that DVD over and over and over again in college. That was like my first year in college is when that movie came out. Mm-hmm. It's 20 years old. That's a 20-year-old movie, Brian. Uh-huh. How the fuck? I'm old. All holds right. up. Holds up. Like even, even the CG holds up. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, some of the morphs, but... All things considered, though, like... The lobby shootout sequence, mm-hmm. the, the Morpheus rescue helicopter sequence, the subway fight... <sighs> So good. Fucking love it. So good. I could rewatch it again and like pick out more details. But when I was listening to the Can't Get Enough of Keanu episode, they pointed out one thing that I I don't think I'd ever noticed. But there's a moment where uh, an agent has been like punched to the ground. I think he's fighting Keanu. And the way he gets back up is he just slams his fists on the ground. And the momentum of that stands him up. Uh huh. Like who thinks of this? (laughs) It's anime. I mean, so cool. So cool. Anime thought of this a long time ago. It's, it's all sure, just anime. But they brought it to film. It was great. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool thing, Brian. Hopefully someone out there hasn't seen The Matrix and this inspires them to see it and it changes their life for the better. Yeah. 
my cool thing this week is also movie related. Uh, right now, and and kind of always, but especially right now, Apple does these uh, build your collection deals. Right, they have certain movies that go on sale for super cheap, sometimes as low as five bucks. Right. And that includes all of the extra features and everything, which is the only good reason to buy a movie because you can stream it mostly on most places. But I'm a big proponent of giving money to Hollywood when they make something I like. And uh, so I have a huge movie collection, as you're aware of, Brian. Yes, And I'm constantly adding to it. And the way that I'm able to add to it without going broke is I buy movies when they're on sale like this. And right now, there's a really good number of movies that are in this collection. So if I switch over... For $5, for $4.99, you can get such great films as Bohemian Rhapsody, Pretty Woman, Office Space, great movie, Super Bad, uh, This is the End, The Devil Wears Prada, Napoleon Dynamite, School of Rock, Chef, Big Lebowski, Pineapple Express. These are all very good movies. Friday, I, actually, all these are weed movies. Days and Confused. <laughs> uh, <laughs> huh, some common threads here. Hmm. Anyways, that's just the $5 segment. It goes up to... Um, $15, I think. There's, but it's split up at $4.99, $5.99, $6.99, $7.99, $9.99, $12.99, and I think maybe there's a $14.99. But but those are all really good deals. Check it out. The the list starts to get worse towards the end if you keep scrolling past. But the number of high quality movies that are available at the beginning of each list here is pretty impressive. So now's a good time to build out your collection if you buy movies on iTunes as I do. Uh, yeah, check it out. It's a good time. Good time to be a movie fan, Brian. It's a really good time to buy some movies. What else do you have got going on? All right. Well, this has been episode 343. Hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought on Twitter and let us know what overvalued and undervalued design skills we left out. Also, send us your embarrassing ass shit. Yeah. Send us send us your early work. Tell us what we missed. Tell us where we're wrong. Tell us what you disagree with. Basically, TLDR, just tweet at us. We like talking to you on the internet. Yeah. If you're not supporting the show on Patreon, you did not hear the full episode. We've introduced a new segment called The Sidebar, which is available to our Patreon supporters for just a dollar a month. Go to patreon.com slash design details and you'll get access to complete full audio from every episode starting from this week going forward patreon.com slash design details thank you to all of our new supporters this week if you want to ask us a listener question like pavel did go to github.com slash spec fm we have a design details repo and you can open an issue for us that's how we keep track of questions and mark them as answered and and have our backlog so thank you pavel for hat trick question answer nice hey Adam. And if you need more podcasts, go to spec.fm. That's our podcast network for designers and developers just, just like, like you. Nice. Got it. Uh, otherwise, talk to us on Twitter. We hope you're doing okay wherever you are in the world and we'll see you next week. Bye. A classic. Classic. Ugh, comfort food right there. I ha- I've gotten to the point where I'm, I am brainstorming like how I'm going to open my Skype camera with you because I kept remembering a few weeks ago when we hopped on Skype and you'd grown out your mustache for the first time. And I was like, oh, my God, you have a mustache. <laughs> uh-huh. So I was actually daydreaming 
about like hopping on a call with you with my face sort of angled to the side like this. You can only see my face. Uh-huh. And I would have shaved. I would have shaved that half. Uh-huh. You would have said something like, oh, you shaved your beard. And I'd have been like, yes, I did. And then I would rotate and, and you slowly <laughs> turn. You would see half unshaven. So I actually thought about doing that. But then I thought through all of the sort of logistics of it, which would mean I would actually have to record the rest of the episode with half of a beard. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that didn't sound very fun. Uh-huh. Like the joke would be funny for five seconds. Uh-huh. And, then, and then you'd just be a distraction the rest of the time. Entirely distracting, yeah. <laughs>